0: The, the nuclear deal, actually, uh, rather than being a leverage uh, for influencing Iran on the protests, it's the other way around, is that the protests have now pushed the nuclear deal in a way to the back burner.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Hopkins podcast on foreign affairs. My name is Lauren Zhao, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Chris Park. The death of a 22-year-old Iranian woman sparked widespread youth and woman-led protests in Iran. In this episode, we'll discuss how protests have evolved and how governments around the world have responded. Professor Vali Nassar joins us today to discuss the demonstrations in Iran.
2: Vali Nassar is the Professor of International Affairs and Middle East Studies at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies and a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's South Asia Center. He previously served as the dean of Johns Hopkins SAIS and a senior advisor to U.S. Special Representative for Afghanistan and Pakistan, Ambassador Richard Holbrook. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hopkins podcast on foreign affairs. Well, Dr. Nasser, thank you so much for uh, coming uh, to speak to us on the podcast today.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
2: Well, our podcast today is on the current protests in Iran and the story for, I guess, many of us uh, outside observers go back to in September when Masa Miria, a 22-year-old Iranian woman, was arrested for allegedly incorrectly wearing her hijab and later died in the custody of the Iranian morality police. And thousands have since taken to the streets in protests. How did the
0: news of her death spread and what happened after? Well, the news of her death spread uh, when a, an Iranian journalist, female journalist, uh, covered it. And subsequently, she was also put in prison. And uh, and, and as soon as the news was was posted, it, it went viral within the social uh, social media environment. And it created, if you would like, a George Floyd moment in Iran. that there was, uh, that, that a young woman, for no good reason, had died in police custody, that there was no accountability, and then that brought forward a grievance that had been brewing uh, among young people in particular about enforcement of hijab or, or headscarves on, on women. There had been a number of incidents uh, in which uh, uh, you know women had been forced into minibuses of the, of the morality police for not properly wearing their hijab. It had aggravated it had created an aggravation, and this death essentially touched off that um, as brewing sentiment and very quickly, large number of young women came to the street uh, uh, saying that they're not gonna take it anymore. They're gonna take off their headscarves and they want sovereignty, o- autonomy over their own bodies. They, they don't want the government to be policing what they would be wearing. So that so that was the beginning.
2: The protests have since you know, taken place all throughout Iran from university campuses to city squares you know, you mentioned the initial, I guess the uh, initial response was, you know, women demanding for uh, their right uh, to, um, to have some autonomy in, in what they wear. But who's protesting now and why? And do these, has this, these demands expanded beyond their, I guess, initial goals and what they were asking for?
0: Yeah. Yes, they have. I mean, st- still women are out there uh, uh, pro- uh, still protesting uh, the wearing of hijab, wanting to make sure that it doesn't come back, and you know, still uh, people who have to deal with official uh, ir- government uh, uh, situations uh, are, are protesting having to wear hijab. For instance, a number of Iranian sportswomen have have decided not to wear the hijab, and then have uh, uh, when being awarded their medals, and then later on had to confront uh, pressure from the authorities. Uh, but there's a larger group of women who see the hijab only as one part of a, of a larger patriarchal legal system that is stacked against them. And they want uh, 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 much more fundamental uh, changes uh, to, to the laws that govern their lives. But uh, above this now, uh, came, uh, you had uh, students, varieties of uh, 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 people from different walks of life who joined the protest not just for hijab, not just around the slogan of uh, women, freedom, uh, women, life and freedom, which became the slogan of the young girls, but, but asking, uh, uh, chanting death to the dictator, asking for the end of the Islamic Republic, uh, much more fundamental uh, challenges to the Islamic Republic, and, and then, you know, there's also workers who joined in, uh, some of them for political reasons, some for economic reasons, because of the hardships that, that they confront. And, and, the, and, and also ethnic groups uh, joined in. The, 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 the protests became particularly aggravated in Iran's Balochistan province and Kurdistan province from where um, uh, Maso Amini's family came. And, and therefore, this became a sort of a multi-pronged, a protest movement that started around uh, a, a, a specific issue, but then ballooned to expose the much more fundamental dissatisfaction of the population with the ruling government and demand and demands uh, in many cases for its outright uh, uh, toppling.
1: Yeah, we've kind of talked about how the protests have expanded to a bigger variety of people supporting. And there are many claims that these student and woman led protests have been the biggest challenge to the Islamic Republic since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. Have there been large public protests since 1979? And how do previous anti-government protests compare to the ongoing frustrations?
0: there have been protests i mean the, the largest one was in 2009 the the so-called green movement where millions of people came to the streets uh, to denounce a, a rigged presidential election and demanding that the that the that the the, the Mir Hossein Mousavi who was the more reformist candidate uh, uh, be made president Those protests in 2009 were suppressed quite brutally, with thousands of Iranians dying very quickly and tens of thousands being put in prison. And then uh, in 2017, 2019, there were again serious protests uh, across uh, many cities in Iran. Uh, One was uh, first initiated around the uh, price of removal of subsidies for price of gasoline. Then there was other economic protests. And in each case, the protests uh, grew, um, very quickly grew much uh, larger and, and challenged the authority of the Islamic Republic. And those were also suppressed very significantly. And in fact, in terms of numbers of, of, of people dead or uh, protesting, perhaps these current protests are not uh, as large, you know, and we don't have the same number of millions of people in the street uh, as in 2009, but they are far more serious because it really exposes a generation that has that uh, come up in Iran that is not basically coming out in the streets around a specific political issue like uh, a rigged election or in support of a particular political leader inside Iran or a particular economic grievance, but is rather challenging the fundamental authority of the Islamic Republic, either its authority to police what they were, or or generally its authority altogether. Uh, in other words, that that it should it should it should go altogether. So in in a way it it uh, it is it is much more serious because uh, b- because it really exposes a disconnect now between the ruling order and a significant por- portion of its population. And and even though the protests in Iran are fairly small in terms of maybe the numbers that actually have come out in the re- street. But they have much, much broader support uh, among people who haven't come out, who are not just, uh, you know, sort of secular or reformist people, but uh, uh, even people who who would count themselves as supporters of the Islamic Republic have shown tremendous amount of sympathy for for the demands of the protesters. So uh, uh, unlike previous times, this time the Islamic Republic is much more isolated as it confronts the protesters.
1: Yeah. Speaking of this new generation that you mentioned, we've seen protests around the world in recent years utilizing the internet and social media to successfully organize collective action. Have we seen that in Iran today? And what kind of tools are the protesters using and how are they kind of supplementing the seriousness of the situation?
0: Well, they, are, they, they have been using uh, the, the Internet, although the Internet was shut down at, at, at many different points. And, and also the Internet was important in connecting the protests inside Iran to the expatriate Iranian community outside Iran. And in previous protests, too, the Internet played a role. Even in 2009, Iranians pioneered the use of Twitter. Uh, in many ways, uh, they made Twitter a big company as the coverage showed how the Iranians were using it uh, j- during the during the protests. But now we're in an environment where it is not only um, protesters who can use the internet. The government also uses the internet uh, for for putting out its version of things or for monitoring who is saying what, when, and, uh, and, and, uh, and using internet as a tool of surveillance and, and suppression as well. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the issues that we confronted in the United States since 2016 of different narratives being put on in the internet, of fake news, etc., these are also uh, very much part of the, uh, the Iranian protests as well.
2: As we talk about these protests that are, you know, small in numbers but have broader support, and as you just said, utilizing social media, um, although to you know a varying degree, how has the Iranian government responded to these protesters, and has the government caused any civilian casualties in their response?
0: Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, in, in other words, uh, at least uh, uh, recently, uh, uh, you know, the media outside Iran like CNN, etc., cited data from a uh, human rights organization that, that upwards of 400 people have been killed in these protests and about 15,000 Iranians have been incarcerated. And yesterday we heard that, um, uh, that, the, that the trials have begun and at least uh, one person has been sentenced to death for for his role in the protests, but uh, uh, you know, so so in a way, uh, uh, this has been bloody, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, and it's largely been managed by the by the police so far. In other words, the the, the Islamic Republic has not deployed military forces uh, or or the Revolutionary Guards in suppressing these protests. It's relied heavily. On 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 police forces, on on intelligence officials, on plain clothes security people, to to intimidate, um, disrupt, and arrest uh, 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 protesters. Uh, so that's basically on the um, on the uh, physical side of it. And as I said, they have also engaged in intense uh, uh, um, uh, information campaign of their own on the internet and. Uh, uh, have sought to put out a different narrative to challenge the narrative of the protesters to 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 put different set of ideas out there, and and so in other words, the 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 way they contend with this is both in the physical world and in the in the virtual world. And I have to say, the 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 one other thing that's different about these protests is the international environment right now. Iran had been. Um, uh, at an impasse on its negotiations about a nuclear deal with the United States. It is under uh, severe economic sanctions. Uh, the protests that actually uh, encouraged European as an, and, and the United States to actually add to those sanctions. Uh, Iran has in the meantime also lent support to Russia's war campaign in Ukraine by providing the Russians with sophisticated uh, uh, drones that, had, that have had an effect, effect on the war. And these actually have added to Iran's international isolation. In previous times when Iran confronted protests in 2017, 2019, in 2009, it was not as isolated and did not face uh, quite the same degree of economic uh, and political pressure internationally as it does right now. What you
2: said about the police um, and plainclothes officers being tasked with the primary job of responding to these protests, and as you said, not revolutionary guards, you know, to me that sounds a bit restrained. Is there a reason for this, you know, arguable restraint in response? And are there opportunities or chances that they might escalate to using revolutionary guards in responding to really crack down on these protesters?
0: Yes, there, 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 is, there, there are scenarios in which if the Islamic Republic truly felt uh, threatened or that uh, its conflicts on the ethnic boundaries of Iran became much more uh, uh, existential, that, that the revolutionary guards would be deployed. Uh, I think for now, uh, perhaps they decided that they can manage with the police, even if it takes much longer. Uh, partly because if they actually did deploy the military and it became much bloodier than it has become right now, the international pressure would become even even more than it is. Uh, and, and also uh, uh, because I think there is a fear that um, uh, if they... If they uh, uh, right now, there is a lot of people who are very angry but are not joining the protests. But there might be a tipping point after, after which they might. And uh, using more force does not necessarily suppress uh, the protest, It actually may explode it in in, in unexpected ways. And I would success, suspect that even within within the uh, halls of power in Iran, within the regime, within the families that count themselves as supporting the uh, the, the Islamic Republic, there is there is no support for uh, a, a really severe crackdown. Uh, um, and and so. As a result, this is kind of continued on a as a persistent unrest in Iran, which means that the protests are continuing, but they are contained in the sense that they're not metamorphosing into mass mass protests of hundreds of thousands of people in the street. They're remaining uh, um, on university campuses or outside, sometimes larger, sometimes smaller. But uh, so, so you basically have a, have a holding pattern between police and protesters, it's sort of a war of attrition that is ongoing.
1: And I know you've talked a little bit about how these protests are kind of contained in university campuses, but many protesters are calling for Ali Khamenei, um, who is the supreme leader of Iran, to step down and for an entire change of government. Um, how likely are these protests to overthrow the current regime and who are possible successors to Khamenei? And how might each of them confront the demands made by protesters? Uh,
0: I don't think the Islamic Republic in any way is is going to uh, consider any of these demands. Uh, um, No government in the Middle East voluntarily steps aside. We didn't see that during the Arab Spring. With with uh, Gaddafi in Libya or or Assad in Syria, uh, and it, it's not likely to happen in, in Iran either. Nor that, nor is there actually a uh, an immediately identifiable candidate or group of candidates that would take over from the uh, uh, Islamic Republic. Uh, uh, now, having said that, is that there might uh, we might end up at some point with debates within the halls of power about. Uh, you, you know, uh, politi- uh, who, who might uh, take government positions, or who might be a successor to the supreme leader, and what policies may change or not change as as we go forward. A lot of that conversation is not uh, 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 visible to us, and it might happen behind closed doors. But but uh, the uh, the, uh, the supreme leader is not right now signaling uh, any kind of a, a concession. To, to protesters, and the protests are not large enough to force him to do that. And, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, he would probably construe that that would be seen as a sign of weakness. And uh, any concessions or changes he might make may come later. Although for now, for instance, they are not actually enforcing hijab uh, vigorously on women. So there are a lot of Iranian uh, women, young women, older women who are going outside now, without any headscarves at all, and there's this sort of a situation of don't don't ask, don't tell. A kind of uh, they're ignoring it uh, without actually changing the laws, and 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 a lot of women are uh, making a point, making a show of the fact that they they're not going to wear their their headscarves. Whether this persists or not, or it's just a momentary uh, ignoring of of this flaunting of of, of hijab, we we will we will see. But I don't see right now um, a dynamic that would suggest that there's going to be uh, visible changes at the top in Iran. I wanted to
2: ask about a specific incident, incident that happened last month uh, and that was widely circulated on social media. And perhaps many of our listeners here in the United States saw them as well. There was a prison fire um, in, uh, in in a, a prison that's notorious for holding political prisoners and other people who have been opposed to uh, the regime in Iran. Um, you know, there are video footages you know, with the compound on fire, individuals pouring what appears to be fuel on the roof of the building, intensifying the fire. Could you kind of walk us through what happened and how that this perhaps relates to the protest, ongoing protests in Iran?
0: I mean, we don't we don't know, have a definitive view of exactly what happened. There's a there, there's an account that the that uh, uh, the, the opponents of the regime, particularly outside, have put out. That uh, and, and then there's an account that the government itself gives that it was the fire that started in the workshop of the prison. More than likely, it was set off by by prisoners themselves, and that about eight people, at, at least that's the official number that was cited, uh, died in the died in the in the fire so had this happened at any other time it probably might have been written off as an accident or or as a small protest by prisoners that did damage to the building took lives but in the end uh, did not change much but it came at a fraught moment where um it looked like the protesters had put the islamic republic under siege and the and the and the and the the fire in the prison and the and the pictures that were coming out of, of of the building burning created a sort of a sense of like the storming of the Bastille in, in, in the revolution in, in France in the 18th century, that, uh, that something very big was, was, was unfolding uh, in Iran. Uh, in the end, that didn't, uh, that didn't pan out, but it, 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 it was an important, if you would, um, important uh, uh, marker in the sense of how serious the protests were. How much people uh, uh, were uh, thinking about um, the, the potential instability that 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 that, uh, that the ruling order in Iran was going to fe- was facing, but um, uh, in a way, it didn't really change the direction of the protests uh, one way or the other.
1: With all this talk about the violence on university campuses and kind of the seriousness of the protests, how has the United States government and other Western governments responded thus far?
0: They've responded pretty severely. They've criticized, they not only have criticized uh, um, the Islamic Republic in very harsh terms, uh, they've also embraced uh, the the protest movement, its message, uh, its, its, uh, its goals, essentially, uh, um, as, as uh, those of the West, and, and they have met with uh, dissident figures, and they also have added new sanctions on Iran, both on people and on institutions uh, responsible for um, suppressing the protests. And then to this is added now anger at Iran's participation in the Ukraine war, uh, which also has uh, soured uh, the mood in, in Europe in particular towards the Islamic Republic so uh, that's that mean, that has that has uh, created a situation where there is almost zero uh, tolerance for any infringement of, uh, on, on human rights in Iran and and the Europeans are responding to to that very vocally and with with, with punitive sanctions against the Islamic Republic
1: And I guess we've mentioned kind of the Arab Spring before, but um, this was kind of a series of anti-government protests and uprisings in the Arab world about a decade ago. And some argue that the United States failed to lend the adequate support to the protesters and stopped lasting change um, from taking place. So a lot of people are calling for President Biden to take more decisive action to support the protesters in, protesters in Iran. Um, how has the Biden administration reacted to these specific calls? And in your opinion, what should the United States do?
0: Uh, the, the, the Biden administration insisted that it's doing everything that it can. And we have to also note that during the Arab Spring, the United States did lend uh, a great deal of support to the to the protesters. Uh, the President Obama was. Uh, uh, insistent that President Mubarak leave power in Egypt. And in fact, uh, the American pressure was quite significant on Mubarak stepping down. And the United States got involved in the campaign to remove Gaddafi. It was U.S. forces that basically killed Gaddafi and as a result ended his regime in Libya. Where the United States failed to uh, uh, provide support for the Arab Spring was after the dictatorships fell. In other words, it provided no material support for the young democracies in Tunisia, Libya, uh, uh, for a brief period before it collapsed into civil war or the young democracy in in Egypt so that it would uh, consolidate. The difference with Iran is that because Iran has already has no relations with the United States and uh, because the sanctions that were put on Iran for uh, already severe sanctions that were put on Iran for um, uh, the nuclear nuclear issue. Uh, there is very little else that the United States can do in a sense that uh, uh, the Iranian government doesn't listen to the United States because it has no relations with it, it has no economic dependencies. Uh, this government in Iran doesn't care about public opinion uh, in the West or uh, about being condemned uh, for for human rights violations, etc. And so the tools that we could have, the Obama administration could have used against Arab governments, of shaming them, pressuring them, pressuring them financially, calling President Mubarak directly, asking him to leave, uh, uh, calling generals, other people that uh, that Americans had relations with to to convey the same message. None of those channels actually exist with Iran. So, uh, short of the United States being inside Iran the maximum the United States could do was to try to, uh, first of all, uh, uh, broadcast the message of the protesters. Uh, the U.S. Uh, immediately lifted sanctions to allow technology that could support uh, uh, going around Internet blocks in Iran to get to Iran. And it also uh, uh, has been um, uh, been very loud in condemning Iran and a- adding additional sanctions. But But none of these essentially... Are, are significant enough or sufficient in, in basically influencing what the policy of the Iranian government would, would do would be. So, so in a way, you know, expectations of the United States being inf- being able to influence a country where it has no relationship with and is already using maximum amount of economic pressure for something else uh, is. I, I think that expectations is is, is a little um, unrealistic.
2: As we talk about the Biden administration's response, and the you know the administration has been working to revive the Iran nuclear deal, you know, an effort to limit Iran's uh, uranium enrichment activity to make it harder for them to develop nuclear arms. In return for lifting many of the international sanctions in place, Uh, it was of course uh, first negotiated and entered into under President Obama. And then uh, President Trump withdrew from the agreement in 2018. And now, of course, the Biden administration is trying to uh, uh, renegotiate the agreement. Do you believe that the Iran nuclear deal um, could be in leverage to change Iranian government response uh, that gives the Biden administration another tool uh, to effect change in Iran?
0: Well, uh, it, it actually requires the the U.S. and Iran to get to a to a signature on the deal and and both sides implement it, and and that was already very difficult to to get to before the protests start, but right now uh, it's even more difficult to imagine. In other words, the United States and the European governments, who are also parties to the uh, to the nuclear deal, are adding sanctions to Iran. are, are, are uh, the relations between Iran and European countries and, and the United States is becoming more tense over the condemnation of the protests and these sanctions. And it's very difficult to see how European governments could uh, deal with domestic opposition in their own countries who, who will who will object to the United States signing a deal with Iran at this time and lifting sanctions on Iran at this time. Uh, uh, and so um, uh, the, the nuclear deal actually... It, uh, rather than being a leverage uh, for influencing Iran on the protests it's the other way around is that the protests have now pushed the nuclear deal in a way to the back burner even Iran uh, Iran's chief on, uh, United States chief envoy to these talks Robert Malley keeps saying that we're not seeing a nuclear deal happening we're, we're going to focus our our efforts on some on other things like supporting protesters or or the issue of Ukraine for now. So uh, it, it's, it's not, it's, as I said, it's not that the nuclear deal will have an impact on the protests. It's the other way around. It's that the protests uh, are having an impact on the nuclear deal. It, it's, it's making any kind of an agreement on Iran's nuclear program more difficult. But it doesn't actually remove the worry that got us to the table to negotiate with Iran in the first place. In other words, uh, we, the, the, the room for negotiation on a nuclear deal is now closing because of the political mood that's created uh, around the protests, both in Iran and outside. But at the same time, the issue of Iran's uh, enrichment capability getting closer and closer to a point of no return is still on the table. And so the Iran crisis as a result, the Iran nuclear crisis is going to get bigger.
2: So in our podcast today, we talked about uh, the ongoing protest movements that are small in numbers, But have broader support and have the potential to expand beyond the scope of what it is right now. We also talked about the American response and set of tools that President Biden has in responding and lending support to the protesters. And finally, we just talked about how the protests complicate the ongoing uh, renegotiation of the Iran nuclear deal. I wanted to conclude our discussion today by asking about the regional implications Uh, and the regional response uh, to the protests, how have other Middle Eastern countries responded as a youth movement is threatening a clerical regime's hold on power in Iran, however serious that may be? Should they also be worried about the spread of protests across the Arab world, similar to what happened in the Arab Spring that we discussed earlier?
0: I think the, you know, the, the response is, is complex, because uh, I think Iran's, uh, particularly Iran's regional rivals, welcome uh, uh, sort of the drubbing of, of uh, the Islamic Republic's nose in, in, by, by the protesters. They, are, uh, they, they would anticipate that perhaps the protests will force Iran to reduce its regional activities in Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Yemen, et cetera, and that's welcome. Uh, and but the, but at the same time, uh, I I think the idea of a of a successful democracy movement in Iran is not welcoming authoritarian governments. In other words, the protesters the protests are great, if they weaken and 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 damage a a a, a, a problematic uh, regional rival uh, in ways in which American policy or their own policy has not been able to do. But uh, uh, the idea of a, of a successful uh, democratic revolution it, it obviously challenges the way in which they govern their own uh, societies. Although I don't think they, are, they need to worry about that uh, at the moment, but uh, I still think that the example of young people in Iran, uh, uh, you know, so bravely uh, challenging uh, in such a significant way the Islamic Republic. Uh, and and being able to stay with these protests for as long as they have and likely will continue to do so and impact world opinion uh, that 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 uh, um, uh, is bound to have an impact on 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 uh, young people in the arab world in Africa in elsewhere who are watching this have their own sets of issues and may may be inspired by what's uh, hap- happening in Iran it's not the question of how large the protests in Iran are, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the message that they've conveyed and the way in which they've, become, they've captured the imagination of the world and the images that people see coming out of Iran. Uh, so the numbers matter in, 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 at, at some level in terms of confronting the Islamic Republic. But I think what's happened in Iran, both for Iran and, 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 and many countries outside, uh, already th- th- there is a much more profound impact. And that's actually one of the issues that makes these protests different from earlier protests in Iran. They may have been bigger, but this one, in terms of its impact messaging, the way in which the rest of the world has understood it, is much more profound and significant.
2: Well, thank you so much, Professor Nasser, for joining us on the podcast today for such a wide-ranging discussion on this developing issue. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.